Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We have Mike Donovan with us, comedian and historian tonight. Historian talking about Ronald Reagan. Step right up to the microphone there, Mike. Hello. What do you want people overall to know about Ronald Reagan? Giving us your opening statement. Uh, well, he restored. It's hard for people who are under the age of, say, 30 to understand this because it sounds like an insane statement. But there was a time when patriotism was so uncool that you looked like a dork for throwing the American flag in your window. It was laughable. Everybody was so left, so long-haired, so liberal, that it, it reached a point where patriotism uh, per se became uh, uncool. And uh, if you weren't a liberal, then you weren't cool. And a lot of people hid but, and just said, well, I'm kind of like a gypsy moth. I'm hiding in the weeds here. I'm a conservative, but I'm afraid to come out and speak my mind. Today, we have a polarized country, to be sure. But the left respects the right. You know, the, 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 the left respects people that are patriotic and have flags in their window. And the whole momentum switch was Ronald Reagan when he arrived. He made it cool again to be a conservative and cool again to be patriotic. And he was the first one to do all this God bless America at the end of his speeches. Everybody's been imitating him since then on the left and the right. People of all shapes of politics will close their speeches now and say, God bless America. But when he first started saying that, finishing his speeches with, thank you and uh, God bless America, it was kind of a bold thing to do at the time. So he restored patriotism to its proper place. You don't have to be a right-wing flag waver, but it's okay to be one. You can be either. You can be a lefty or you can be a righty. But when he in 1979, the whole country was left. Now, you write a lot, and we're kind of covering your book, The United States, in the time of Ronald Reagan, 81 to 89, by you, Michael Edward Donovan. So there's that. It's out there for people to get if they want it, right? Yes, it's on Amazon. All right. And it's tough to find you because there are a lot of Michael Donovan? Yeah, you got to go uh, digging in. Some of them are under Michael Edward Donovan. But, okay. But Reagan's kind of the easiest book I ever wrote. And for those who, don't, who haven't heard you on the program or know about your pro prolific writing, are you— uh, constantly writing, and you've published many a book. Yeah, I'm up to 83. 83. And, and they're never done with you. You go back all the time and... Yeah, it's never going to end. A bridge it's, and it's, improve. It's like breathing. You and know, you, will never, you will never be done. I will never be done. I was going to ask you at some point. Well, actually, I would never ask you, but in many cases with musicians and writers, how do you know when it's done? That question doesn't really apply to you because it's never done. Yeah, well, one of the advantages of being self-published through Amazon, is that I can revise and improve a book in 48 hours. Now, if I had a big contract with the Random House, I couldn't just call them up and say, tomorrow I'm going to publish a new edition. I just did some studying, and I just added three new paragraphs, and I just changed something I thought was incorrect. Can you republish this book tomorrow and have it in Barnes & Noble? They'd say, are you out of your mind? But for me... I can study any book on any subject on American history and politics, and at the end of my study session, 
I go into one of my manuscripts and I improve it and add a few things. And, and before I go to bed, I republish it. And it's just a blast. All right. Let's go uh, to the early Reagan. He's elected a couple of times president of the Screen Actors Guild. Guild and that was an early uh, platform for him to be anti-communist. He was very anti-communist. And I'm curious if he was also kind of a supporter of the McCarthyism at the time. Was he? I would say no on that one. It's a good question. I would say no. And was he involved in the blacklisting? Uh, maybe he's a little bit involved in that part because he was. But, you know, there's two sides to it. There's people that were unjustly blacklisted, and then there were people who were actively subver subversive communists that were trying to do bad things. And even if you allow that three out of four were unjustified, at least allow that some of them were actually doing some bad. What he said was uh, that he was doing all these talks. It started with the with, biz with business talks. Then he went up to the uh, street, uh, Screen Actors Guild. And at the end of every speech, somebody would come up to him and say, you know, I really loved everything that you said, but why are you a Democrat? All the things that you're saying... Because he was a Democrat. He said, they, they, everyone kept right. telling him, it's like, I don't understand why you're a Democrat. Your message is down the line, a Republican message. And then finally, he just... And so in 62, he changed. Was that it? Yeah. Yeah. First entry into politics uh, around the time of Goldwater's uh, campaign, he did a, a speech called uh, Time for Choosing. That kind of was his right. first first thing. Right. And what happened after that? Well, he ran for governor. And, you know, that was that. And he became very popular. He raised taxes. He turned the state budget uh, deficit to a surplus and challenged protesters in California. And what, was, what else was remarkable about, about his time as governor? I don't know too much about his time as governor, except that most of the uh, Sacramento gang he took with him to uh, Washington, and some of them uh, did a great job, and some of them maybe didn't. But most of the people that went to Washington with him were, were his cronies from uh, from Sacramento. But can I tell one great story? Sure, about stories. I'm all about stories. When he was a young man, he had trouble getting a job, like everybody. It was the Depression, and he had his mind made up that he wanted to be in radio, and he knocked on a lot of doors, and uh, and finally one guy hunted him down. As, as he was walking out the door, a guy said, you know, you were so nice about me rejecting you that I, I want you to come back in here. Because he, he said, no, I can't. And he went, okay, no problem. It was nice to meet you. And yeah. Chased him down and says, well, let me see what I can do. And he gets a call later on. So now he has a job at WHO in Des Moines as a, uh, a radio broadcaster. And he was doing fake broadcasts of the Chicago Cubs games. Yeah, sports. He was recreating these games. He was pretending that he was watching them. He's actually, it's a total fake job. He made it and, up. and most people were buying it that wow. he's watching the game. So anyway, uh, he does this for a couple of years, and, and then he has an idea. In the spring, he says to his station manager, you know, uh, if I go to spring training, the Cubs trained in Catalina Island, California. He said, if I go to spring training, I'll be able to fake my way through these broadcasts a lot better. He didn't think the station manager would go for it. The station manager said, that's a great idea. Next thing you know, he's subsidized for this wonderful trip to California, and everybody's, how did you pull that off? Well, I had an idea. The guy said, yes. So one day he gets, he gets to California, he's in Los Angeles at Long Beach, get, and a terrible storm comes up. So for two days he can't catch the boat to a Catalina to cover the Cubs. So he has a friend that's an actor in Los Angeles who said, listen, I'm doing a screen test today. You're a natural. Why don't you come with me? I can get you a screen test. you got nothing to lose. 
And that's it. The rest is history. A storm changed history, and baseball changed history. And that's in the book. That's in the book. All right. Folks love Ronald Reagan, uh, Dangerous Dan Ray, says uh, best president in the second half of the 20th century. I'd agree with that. Okay. How about you, 617-254-1030? Other folks say overrated for a number of reasons. You can address that, too. Now, uh, we, we get to the, uh, well, trying a couple times for the Republican presidential nomination, 68 and 76. And finally, he runs, he wins, and becomes president. Now, uh, the transition. It was a big deal for him to challenge Gerald Ford for the Republican nomination in 76. That was a very big, it was a bold move to challenge your own party like that. And when he finally uh, dropped out, his support for Ford was lukewarm. He gave a speech, but it wasn't a really great speech. So you get to the transition, and uh, that's an important important thing. They had the, the hostage situation. Right. And uh, you have. this is where I ask you the question about President Carter. Was he really all that bad a president? Uh, he gets, he's roundly, soundly whomped for being a terrible president, but maybe not as terrible as he gets credit for. Well, yes and no, only in the sense that I hear more good things about Carter than bad. It depends on who you're talking to. I hear people talk about he was the greatest and, uh, you know, everybody should learn from him. And so it just depends on who you're talking to. But basically, uh, he was the, re you know, I was a long-haired hippie in the beginning of the 70s. And by the time the 70s ended, I had become a conservative. I was a borderline conservative on Election Day on 1980. But it was because of Carter. Because the United States getting slapped around all over the world because of his pacifism. You know, if, you, if you're a deacon and you believe in pacifism, I love you for that. We all love you for that. But don't become president of the United States. You're in charge of our military forces, and their, their job is to, is to take action that sometimes costs lives. And, and Carter's position was, under no circumstances do I want to use military force to solve anything. And he said that very specifically. Fairness, not force, will be our guiding you know, light. So fairness, not force? You can have options, Jimmy. You can have either one. You can't say fair. You, you, you come into office and you tell the Russians and everybody else, fairness, not force, will be our, our guiding light. Well, that's a green light for our enemies. The one, well, one time when he does choose to act militarily, it goes south for him. Talk about that. And maybe he kind of gets a bad rap for that. Maybe it's not, you know, the... The tactics on the ground, he's not actually... Yeah, so Operation uh, Eagle Claw. Not, he, not he, responsible for the, the storm and all. Right. Well, a lot of things... I always call it the diner test. What passes the diner test? There's certain things. Iran-Contra, it was very important. Central America, it was important. But it didn't pass the diner test. The diner test is if you're walking into a diner and you're walking past a few tables, you're going to overhear people, regular people, talking about this political issue. Okay, so these, there's a lot of things that go on in the world that you think are important at the time, and, but they're not even passing the diner test now, let alone late. Well, anyway, the point is the, the hostage crisis passed the diner test every single day. For 400 days, everyone was talking about it. You stand at a bus stop with a total stranger, you talk about the hostage crisis. So that's a big thing. That, that is the big thing. So now the whole presidency is based on, his presidency is based on what are you going to do about this. So he finally came up with this rescue mission, which failed 
cost a lot of America. Not that many, but enough is enough. I forget what the amount of casualties we took in the desert. But his uh, his claim after his presidency was that no, uh, no blood was sh- shed on my watch. Well, you're forgetting about those casualties, and he's always bragging that he never resorted to military force, but you tried it. It didn't happen, but, you, you know, Gary Hart called out Mondale on this because Ma- in the 84 debates, Mondale's bragging about how we never resorted to military force. We're not hawks like Reagan with this Grenada thing and everything. And then uh, Gary Hart interrupts and says, excuse me, I seem to recall that we tried to use military force, and it failed. So it's a, it's a bit much to suggest that you're, you're president when you have— and by the way, R- Mondale was the left-wing hawk on this. He, didn't, he was against any—he was even more to the left of Carter when it came to never use military force. And so in, in 84, when I knew that, that was the easiest election in my lifetime. You know, many an election, I'm, I, I'm usually torn between two candidates, and then in the end I usually go with the conservatives, so perhaps I never really was that torn. But in 84, that was the biggest no-brainer in the history of my life. So 84, yeah, I guess it was a no-brainer. He got more electoral votes than anybody ever, right? Yeah. Like 525. Huge victory. Yeah. So you got— so What did he do in the first term that made everybody love him even more? Uh, well, in addition to the previous made point about patriotism, he stood up to the Russians. He stood up to the Soviet Union. And that's what they mocked him for. You know, they're the focus of evil in the modern world. Ah, 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 can you believe he said that? Ah, 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 we'll study some Russian history books. Tune into some histories of the Soviet Union and then laugh at him for saying that. They were the focus of evil in the modern world. Why is he a, a, a dork for saying that? You know? As an aside, would you like to see the Reagan sort of doctrine with Russian, the way, Russia, the way he dealt with Russia now? Because it seems like we're not really as tough as we used to be. Uh, I feel like Russia could invade Finland and we wouldn't do anything. Or Norway. Yeah, I know what you mean. But the uh, even though I have a lot of mixed feelings about current Russian-American relations, and probably more of it is bad than good, the one consolation is we're not talking about destroying each other in nuclear war. And that was the common—you know, now it's like, d- did our president co- cooperate with the Russians? Is there some sneaky th- cyber war and all the— you know, when you compare the 80s, when you are you go to sleep at night, you wonder if you're going to be alive tomorrow because the, yeah. we're on the verge of... A lot of people don't remember no, that. a lot of people don't. I know. But, I don't, I but don't you know. have fear. You have you have bad dreams. The, the missiles are on the way. You have 20 minutes to live. And what's this all about? Okay, good time to ask you, uh, Did does President Reagan get too much credit for the fall of the Soviet Union? Yes, uh, it's because we like to deal with sound bites and, you know, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. I believe that wall was going to go down anyway and that Reagan gets too much credit for uh, forcing, allegedly forcing the Soviet Union into uh, imploding and reconsidering. Don't forget that when uh, Gorbachev first came around and instituted perestroika, Reagan, the Cold War was still at its height. There had been no warming yet. And yet the Soviet Union was already in the process of, of trying to uh, institute some new progressive changes. So this had nothing to do with Reagan. This was going to happen anyway. My own feeling is I wasted a couple of years of my life studying uh, uh, Marxist propaganda, Soviet uh, books by the Soviet Union, 
you know, you name it. I, I read it. It, it. it was so boring, especially Lenin. I mean, it's a total cult. It's like, like Mao in China still, like, uh, like Kim in, in, in North Korea, a total cult of Lenin. It still ruled the country 50, 60 years after his death. And I was studying this, and I'm thinking, it's just a matter of time before that generation dies out that had to worship everything Lenin wrote. And when that generation dies out, they're going to discard this because it's boring, it's tedious, it's a great burden on every student in Russia that has to learn this stuff. He's an awful writer. He, he write, you have to read countless pages of his awful books, and then you have to write to the teacher explaining why he's such a genius and everything he predicted came true. And it's all such nonsense, and it's horrible. And they were looking for a, an excuse to discard that. So maybe the Reagan, and t you know, starting up the cold, well, maybe that gave them a little bit of incentive. Maybe he gave them a nice push. And he definitely intimidated them in, in one sense. He let them know, we can outspend you. Yeah. We can outspend you in, 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 in military. So please knock it off in Angola and Cuba and every place else. You think Star Wars was, a, was part of that? Like, look. Uh, yes. You know. We're yes. going to do Star Wars. No way you can afford that. Yes, kind of thing. And everyone, mm -hmm. and and everyone, uh, interesting that everyone that mocked that as unfeasible. Well, if it's so unfeasible and if it's so laughable, how come the Soviets are afraid of it? How come they're making that the number one contingent at the Reykjavik summit? You got to get rid of Star Wars if you if you want us to agree to these uh, uh, arms limitations. You have to get rid of Star Wars. Well, uh, apparently there must be something to it. Well. Apparently they thought there was then, but if it was so feasible, why haven't we done it yet? That I don't know. Okay. Uh, any uh, other like uh, factors in the downfall of the Soviet Union? Of course, there's Af their Afghanistan, their Vietnam. Really, they yes. you know, they couldn't they could afford big... their Vietnam less than we could afford right. ours. That's right. Anything else? Uh, well, they had too big of an empire. They wanted to uh, compact it down. You know, trying to maintain. Uh, Tajikistan and all these distant republics, yep. it, it was more hassle than it was worth. It wasn't paying off. So they wanted to basically uh, trim down to size. Trim down, and, that's right. Sure, and just, but they weren't interested. You know, interesting, they kept all the nuclear weapons. And then when, when the Soviet Union ended, technically at the end of 1991, everyone was saying, for the next 10 years, everyone was saying, we're the only superpower. What kind of a world? You know, every, every crossfire... Uh, interview. Right now, what do you think of the future now that we're the only superpower? Now that the Soviet Union is almost irrelevant, what do you think of, you know, all these philosophical, excuse me, they have just as many nuclear weapons as we do. Stop saying we're the only superpower, please. There you go. All right. Brian and Maine's going to talk to us after this break. We'll continue with Mike Donovan. And uh, we're talking about Ronald Reagan in relation to his book, The United States in the Time of Reagan, part of a series that is the United States in the time of. It's not just about these presidents, but it's about the country in the time of the president, which is a distinction that I know is important to you, right, Mike? Yes. Okay. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
We continue with the great Mike Donovan, and we're talking about Ronald Reagan in the time, the United States in the time of Ronald Reagan. And I invite you to call 617-254-1030. We, we talked a lot of pro things about Ronald Reagan. There are some things that people would say are knocks. We'll get to those. And a lot of incidents. We kind of got to burn through a lot of stuff in a short amount of time. Hey, Brian, in Maine. Hi. Hey, Bradley. Mr. Donovan, very interesting show tonight. I'm enjoying it so much. Thank I you. wish it wasn't so long ago because some of the facts are a little foggy in my head. Right. But uh, – don't you think that it's kind of crazy for the Republicans to think that Reagan was the greatest president of the last half century when he had early onset dementia from about his third year in his first term and that Nancy and her astrologer were giving his primary advice to him? I just don't get that at all. They hid it from us, number one, while he got reelected, and number two, she was running the country, not Reagan. He was a good teleprompter reader, but he was a grade B actor, not a world leader. And as far as these military operations go, those are all planned by his chief of staff. They're not his plan. They're not Carter's plan. They're plans that are recommended to him by military experts, and they either take the advice or they don't. Am I not correct? I disagree with everything you said, so... Well, I disagree with pretty much everything you said. All right, okay, so let, uh, let's let now. You good job, good job, yeah. ta- spelling out your points. Now let's Mike Mike address the points. Go ahead. Well, uh, Howard Baker had a late uh, in his term meeting because people were starting to be concerned. He was the new chief of staff. This was '87, and they had a big meeting where he was actually scouting Reagan to see if he was sharp or mentally alert. Because uh, they were thinking of invoking that there were all these rumors that he was, you know, mentally uh, losing something. So Howard Baker uh, went in and he had a nice long talk with Reagan. He came out and he said, "You guys are out of your mind. He's as sharp as I've ever known him to be." So you checked. So these are the, the, he said. So they checked up on him. They completely checked up on him. Okay. And he was very involved in military decisions. All right. Um, I mean, no president just says, uh, you guys, you military guys, you make the decisions, and I'll just, you know, sign off. All right, Brian. Recommendations, as you well know. But the thing about Reagan was that he, uh, one person does not go in, especially somebody not trained in the psychiatric industry to analyze, and plus Baker loved Reagan. So it would have taken an awful lot of stupidity to, to change Baker's mind about him. It should have been three or four guys so they could bounce questions off him because uh, anybody can have moments of lucidity, but not you, for the you one guy side, who's very fond of You wouldn't of. side with Reagan on anything. It's pretty obvious. No, that's tone. not true. I, that's, I like uh, that's him. what I like it sounds ha- like to me. Well, because I'm pointing out you, some you, things that you said that opinions. I think are wrong. Right. So, yeah, Brian, they they to, to, you can answer that question by just coming up with something that you supported Reagan on. Uh, I supported him on bringing down the wall and uh, engaging he didn't, he didn't Mr. Gorbachev. The, the Russians brought down the well, wall. Well, he and the Pope, he and the Pope, pretty much brought no, it down. So you, a, you basically, yeah. uh, you are in favor of how he dealt with the Russians, is what you're saying? Yeah. Didn't you remember him calling out Mr. Gorbachev? Tear down the wall. We already wall. covered that. Yes. Okay, I'm no, sorry. it's a good I point. A it's late. a good point, Brian. Thank you very much. You guys don't get in a fight now. Uh, so I'm going to pick up where he left off. And just, there are people that say that Reagan's overrated and there's a bunch of stuff to address, and I'm sure you'll dispatch it. 
I didn't agree with him on apartheid. And, and, and right, that's you know, one of the things. In his, in his, I don't think uh, excitement I think, to fight communism. He sided, right. he sided uh, with apartheid. Iran Contra was bad. Uh, I think uh, uh, William Casey probably exceeded his authority on, on occasion. I think uh, Ed Meese was not a good person to have in the, running the justice. There's a lot of negatives. How about but he, he ignored the deaths of 20,000 AIDS patients? He, he totally dropped the ball on that. On what? AIDS. Yes. Which is a significant thing. Sure. Yes. But I'm not a hundred percenter. I don't say everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a, with the current president. There's a lot of people that hate everything he does. And a lot of people who approve of everything he does, right. and both are insane. Okay, so you just uh, you ad- addressed Iran Contra scandal. That's not as big a deal to you as some, but you. The so- idea that Reagan wasn't running the country and he was so feeble that other people were making all of his decisions, you know, no. Okay, so but if he were, that means he would be making the decisions on Iran Contra, and culpable for them. Sure. All right. Too much credit for the ending the Cold War. You already addressed that. Destroying the middle class. He cuts, uh, cut taxes on the rich, kind of shifted the burden from wealth to workers. And he, he union-busting guy. I do enjoy being in a union. Uh, yes, m- that's middle another class one. The, the Patco. Seems the as pa- a, I don't agree with him on Patco. Okay. On, on, it seems like there's a, a, a similarity between... I can't think of the word, but the the decline of unions and the decline of the middle class. And uh, I guess that's it as far as the reasons to not be cheerful about Reagan. Now, there are a lot of of, uh, events that you address in your book. We can burn through some of them. The uh, KAL 007 uh, events. Well, yes, a, a, a Korean jetliner uh, was shot down o- over uh, the s- waters in, off the coast of the Soviet Union, and everybody it, that was as close as we ever came to World War III. And there's a lot of theories about what happened. The Soviets denied it, and there, there's books about it. Seymour Hersh, the target is destroyed, saying that the accusation was that the United States had baited Soviet air defenses by deliberately... Uh, uh, redirecting this airliner over Soviet airspace in order to see what kind of Soviet response would be to test Soviet air defenses. And, you know, you read these books and you see, well, you almost got me convinced. Then you read another book and you go, well, no. Right. I mean, it's really kind of silly. When you consider the kind of satellite intel, the kind of uh, uh, the spy intel we have, uh, and also uh, – if we're at war with the Soviet Union, their capabilities in air combat, standard, you know, MiG versus, that's not relevant anymore. You know, that's not, a, and it's not important anymore. The barracks bombing. Well, yes, uh, the, the Beirut bombing, uh, one, one, this, like 283 uh, Marines were killed, CIA agents were killed. Also, the French were attacked at the same time. They lost 58 killed. The French embassy uh, was uh, – but nobody was complaining about our presence there until those men were killed. In other words, as soon as the uh, accident happened, the, the, the deliberate accident happened, everyone's like, why are we there? Why are we there? It's time to get out. He eventually did get out. But my question at the time was, well, if you're so opposed to our presence there, why didn't you say something before when we were ML and multiple lateral force? Why why wouldn't you object to that before this happened? You should have said, well, we shouldn't be there. Let's get out. 
only after everybody dies, all of a sudden, and he certainly was trying to do the right thing in keeping, and we weren't the only ones there. It was a U.N. force. As we go through this list, it, it, it will seem like there was a lot more going on there. That's right. Than now. In a way, yes. And a lot more at stake, really. In 81, one of the first events was uh, Orserac, when uh, the Israeli, even though we didn't do it, we, were, we surely gave the wink to Israel, when they destroyed the nuclear reactor in 81. Now think about the Gulf War crisis in 1991. If, if Iraq had a nuclear weapon at the time, we wouldn't have gone in and, and, and kicked Kuwait out. So in a way, that strike really changed. It was a seminal event in the long run. Do you expect that to happen again in Iran down the road with the Israelis? Possibly. Anyway, hijacking. There were hijackings at the time? Yeah, there was, a, there was two uh, hijackings, TWA 800 and 847. Uh, it was the same route, Athens, Athens to Rome. One, uh, uh, was, an ex one was when the, uh, these three poor people were blown out of the plane. Remember that? They fell to their death. You know, is so yeah. so the, these hijackings were going on. This, this, so this all led all these little insults from all these terrorists were have been going on for ten years before he launched the Libya raid in '86. So that was kind of an answer to everything. It wasn't just the fact that a, a soldier had been killed at La Belle Discotheque in, in Germany. It, it was more to it. There's like somebody's been. Uh, you're having a beef with your neighbor for 10 years, and then one day he throws a water balloon at you. Enough and is enough. Yeah, so it's, we finally had enough, and he sent a message to the world, and particularly to the Islamic extremists, that we're not going to take this anymore. There's going to be a price. Talking about Ronald Reagan and off the air, we were just chatting about how, well, I said, boy, you know, I, I to be honest, I said, boy, I wish— I wish we had him in office now. Uh, I'd re I would really like to have, rather have him be the face of the country and the, that party than who we have now. And Mike mentioned things like the after six rule. I mentioned, hey, he used to hang around with Tip O'Neill. And Mike says, yeah, they had the after six rule where they, you know, they would duel during the day and then there would right. be human beings at night. And, we, and the human being part is all gone. It is. I've had a fantasy for two, a long time that the election comes in November, first week in November. The World Series ends at the end of October. I would, I've always had a dream that there's this American tradition where the two, front, the two nominees for president attend a World Series game together and just socially. Be nice. Just, just hang out and watch the ball game. That'd be cool. And if you knew that was on your schedule, you might watch some of the nasty things you say to each other. If you have to hang out. Yeah. That's right. That's a good idea. Man, let's let's go to Thomas in Marlboro. Hello, Thomas. Hello there, Bradley, and I'm Mike. Hello. Yeah, a couple things there. One, um, you, you were talking about the Marine barracks in Beirut, and um, you, you recall, I'm sure, where we went right after leaving Beirut. Yes, that, that was the largest, yeah, Grenada. You know, Maurice Bishop had been assassinated, right. and we went into we went in there. In 1984, I went to Berlin because, like yourself, I always believed that wall would fall. And I was in Germany, and I took a train up, and I remember the um, the ride in, and it kind of reminded me what a sixth grade teacher told us once that 
when you got to the border of you know, east to west Germany, went into the east, everything just seemed to turn gray yes. and dull. And um, and uh, and uh, so I was I was walking along in East Berlin, and I saw a um, there was a large uh, political uh, you know a protest or rally going on. What was happening? People have been bussed in, and Eric Hanukkah and um, and another world leader who's still in charge today were um, came walking out and was talking about how they're between East Germany. The signs in Deutsch said between East Germany and um, and Nicaragua, they're our friends. And I remember when the last taillight of the um, cortege of you know the uh, the limousines turned the corner. All the smiles and all the signs dropped, and the people went to the buses and drove away. That's a good story. I wish that I'd been with you, man. 1984, that must have been exciting. We have a little bit of time left to finish up uh, some events during the, the uh, some key events during the Reagan years. And you have the um, Iranian airliner and its relationship to the Stark. In, uh, on March 17th, 1987, uh, uh, the the USS Stark, a Navy frigate, was patrolling in the Persian Gulf, and it was struck by uh, two Exocet missiles fired from a, a MiG fighter, uh, in, an employee of the Iraqi Air Force. Uh, Thirty-seven American sailors were killed, and the reaction, which I found horrifying, was everyone was mad at the Navy. They weren't mad at Iraq. There was very little anger towards Iraq. You, you could go back to any newspaper or Newsweek. Or, there was very little anger towards Iraq for doing it. Iraq said it was an accident. Everybody believed them. And the reason why we believed them is because we needed Iraq as a buffer against both Soviet uh, influence in Iraq and the export of uh, Islamic fundamentalism from Iran. So by accident, Iraq was our ally. Not literally, but in a figurative sense, Iraq was our ally. An unwitting, undesirable ally, but they were our ally. So that's part of the reason why there was so little anger towards Iraq. But the anger in this country was directed at the Navy for allowing this to happen. Brindle was the name of the uh, commander. And he was attacked by every... How did you let this happen? If you see a missile coming in, how can you just sit there... And let this happen. Everybody was mad at the Navy. Well, excuse me, it's a peacetime situation. You see a blip on the radar. Nothing horribly violent has happened in a long time in the, anywhere. And all of a sudden, you get hit. You, you know, a sucker punch, there's no defense. So anyway, Reagan goes to Congress, and he's mad about it too. And then he says uh, to a, 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 an assemblage of, of the Congress, he says, from now on, we have a new order of battle. And he's specifically referring to what happened with the Stark. He says, we have a new order of battle. Defend yourselves. Defend American lives. Standing ovation. So now you're a, 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 a frigate commander a year later, and you, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. You've had some fights with the Iranian gunboats in the last three or four hours. You know there's hostilities going on. There's been some attacks. You've fended off attacks from Iranian gunboats. You see a blip coming in, and you hit the panic button. So after listening to Reagan say what he said, it's shoot and now, he, ask he, questions he, later. Yeah. 
That's right. And so he did it. Next thing you know, it's July 4th, 1988, and everybody's seeing these horrible images of these uh, civilians uh, floating in the water. But I believe that it was the reaction, the, the unfair reaction against the Navy that produced this panic mode on the part of commanders that we don't want to face the wrath that uh, Brindle faced. I'm not going to let that happen to me. I have to presume this is an Iranian F-14 Tomcat. We sent a, a identify friend or foe, and they didn't respond. It's, it's three miles away. Right. We can't wait any longer. Not that it was the right thing to do. It was the wrong thing to do. But it was a, a product of, of a series of events, not just a self-contained incident. Do you think we're still operating on that model? On the show? No. Now we've backed off that? I think that left a lasting impact on how everybody you know, proceeds in the Navy. Paul in Hingham, you're on WBZ with Mike Donovan. Hi. Hey, is this Paul from Hingham? Hi. What's up? Yes, uh, I want to talk about Ronald Reagan. Um, I think the biggest blunder of any president ever was his war on drugs. We're still suffering that today he with is. the incarceration of so many people, and Agreed. we're trying to get uh, people out of jail. We're actually doing laws now to try to reverse some of those, like three strikes, you're out, particularly in the African-American community where – um, you know, if it was powder cocaine, that was all right, but if it was crack cocaine, you're going to jail for life. And his war on drugs, is, uh, it, was just, it was just awful. And, it, it, and it's, we're still paying for that today. I and, agree. Uh, I, I completely agree. And I, you know, I read in the book that uh, Nancy Reagan, I got to give her credit, you know, because that say no to drugs. There is a one thousandth of a chance that one person one time didn't do drugs because of that. So we got to give her credit. But if that's your only plan, that's, and you're only saving one out of a thousand, that's a bad plan. Yeah, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it was just, it was just it. terrible. All right. Just terrible. Okay, I just want to make that point, and so he wasn't all that good. He had some redeeming factors, but I think that was the biggest blunder of any president in the 20th century. Thanks, Paul. I would take him now for sure. So I need to say something very important. Everyone. You know, I like talking about politics with Mike Donovan. You know why? Because Mike Donovan researches the facts and bases his opinion on facts, and he's not a hundred percenter. He, as you have heard, he will like some things about President Reagan and not like some things about President Reagan. He's intellectually honest, and and his intellectual honesty is based on actual knowing the facts. Unlike you all, who don't generally know the facts. Yeah, I'm pointing the fingers at you all, and that's why I don't talk about politics because most of you get your facts. From places that don't give facts, you have two completely different sets of facts. Some of you watch one lying TV outlet, and some of you watch another lying TV outlet, and you base your entire opinion and your entire worldview on falsehoods, and then you come to this show and and you spew your 100% views, which are, you know, wrong. Like both of you, both sides are wrong, and that's why I don't talk about politics with you. <laughs> All right. That I mean, Mike, this is you know what I've dealt with for six years here. It's pointless. It'll change nothing, right. and it's boring to hear people just spinning around that same old washing machine in that same old bubble of the same old incorrect right. facts that they have. So that's why I don't do it. The right. day that there are more people like you in the audience, well, that's the day that I'll talk about politics. Clinton said something beautiful recently. They were asking him about Bill Clinton, asking about the impeachment. He said. 
Well, you know, you can all weigh in if you want, but it's not going to make any difference. This isn't up to the electorate. This is up to these people that are in charge of this proceeding. I mean, it doesn't do any good to weigh in on it. I mean, if you want to, you can. I just think it doesn't do any good to anybody. Anyway, so you see what happened today? You see how Mike Donovan is? Can you please be more like that? <laughs> I'm serious. Talk about being real. That's about as real as you can get. The, the United States in the time of Ronald Reagan. Oh, Mike, you have an interesting way that you lay things out. It's it's good for the person who has a short attention span, correct? Right. It's like bang, 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 Cold War, Hollywood movie star becomes president. There are a million chapters that are short. They're all very short. Okay. Well, looking forward to your next visit. And uh, hopefully that hopefully our current president will take a look at Reagan and maybe institute an after-six rule with somebody on the other side. Wouldn't that be cool? Great. The podcast available if you want to share it or if you want to hear the whole thing, maybe you only heard part of it. We'll uh, continue. Uh, no guest. Open lines after this on WBZ Boston's News Radio. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.